blocking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, from the Windy City, we're covering the day that was in Chicago at Hallis Hall as the Dolphins matched up with the Chicago Bears for a spirited joint practice. We'll cover the top performers, position-by-position details, a new type of matchup of the day. We'll talk about the Dolphins' defensive dominance, answer some of your questions, and send out a massive thank you to the greatest fan base in all of sports. All of that and more on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And where else could we start besides the hashtag that was trending on Dolphins Twitter Wednesday morning? The practice started off on Wednesday as an open to the public session, which means live tweeting is permitted. And we were out there for all of 15 minutes before the lightning alarm went off on the practice field and they had to clear out the field, players, fans, media, everybody. And so it was off to the indoor facility where the media stuff is all set up so the field is not immediately available for use. And once it became clear the bad weather would last for a little while, a little over an hour, a bunch of staffers from both clubs worked at a rapid, impressive pace to clear things up, and the Bears got half the field and we got the rest of the field. And there was a little bit of 11 on 11 in this period, and then it was right back outside, but the change meant the practice was now closed, so no live tweeting. So with my laptop and my phone, I'm taking all the notes I can. I got down as much as I could to bring you guys a great show here on the podcast in lieu of the live tweeting that I know you all love so much, but I'm glad to have you here with me on Drive Time. At the final special teams period, I take a little bit of a break and checked Twitter to see all these photoshops. Someone found some horrible art video project still up on YouTube that I did in college a few years ago and used that to talk about this hashtag. And on top of that, the free Wingfield hashtag was trending to the point that when I typed in the hashtag and free Wingfield in Twitter, the only other topic ahead of it, or just free rather, the only other topic ahead of that was hashtag free Britney. Just remarkable. You guys sure know how to make a guy feel special. And I just want to say what an honor and privilege it is to be counted on by so many to get the word out and talk about this team and share my excitement for what Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and everybody involved. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of people, what they're involved here in putting together with the Miami Dolphins. The only thing that makes it better is what you guys did. So thank you truly from the bottom of my heart and stay hilarious because some of the stuff that you guys had sent to me or just put on Twitter in general had me laughing out loud at the top of the bleachers like a total psychopath. So keep that energy coming on Thursday at Thursday's practice. To finish setting the scene here, Kind of a cool spot out in the forest in Illinois out here. They've got four practice fields at Hallis Hall, and we're on three and four, which is a bit of a walk away from the actual facility located back on the back part of the property. And right behind that, right behind the field, is a very foresty area with an open field beyond the trees, and there's a railroad system back in there too. And I I mentioned this on Twitter, I'm just a sucker for, you know, intimate type of romantic settings, and I found this to be one of those. It was... It was a really cool looking spot, really cool looking practice field, a definite change from South Florida. 
And on top of that, there was a bit of a chill in the air ahead of the storm, which was a very, very nice break to get away from the oven that is South Florida in August. And I'm sure the players appreciated that a little bit too, but man, it speaks to the challenge of playing somewhere up north all summer for training camp and preseason before coming down to South Florida for a game in September, October, and quite frankly, the entire calendar. It's humid up here too, but nothing compares to that South Florida sweat box. As for the practice itself, before we went inside, and this is funny to me because I joked with Coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre about how they work so far from where we sit at Baptist Health Training Center in Miami Gardens, and I was dying to get an up-close look at the offensive line, and today I got that chance. I started off in the bleachers right behind the end zone where they were working, so I got to hear the pop of the pads and the instruction of the coaches and just everything that went along with that unit and with that period and the practice. I want to go ahead and get to the notes here and talk about the offensive line first because I felt like I got a really good look at this group, not for the first time, but the first really close-up focused practice I had on the offensive line. First, Rob Hunt's strike and punches, they're not just felt, they're heard. My God, he is powerful. Austin Jackson, too. I heard both of those guys the most in that period. I noted that I like the way that Liam Eichenberg works Everything in tandem, you know, step and punch time together. He's patient with that punch and it allows him to incorporate the lower half and get the full force of those strikes because of the way he's technically wired up. I just wrote that he's technically sound, which really corroborates with what a lot of draft nicks had on him pre-draft out of Notre Dame. Now, Durval Kira's Neto's work over the last couple of years, I thought showed up in this period more so than any other time that I saw him. They were coming off the snap and into bags held by other offensive linemen who were simulating the role of defensive linemen. And the force of Durval looked the most powerful of the group. And when I saw his feet really perfectly under his shoulders, not widening the base, not getting too narrow, just on balance, I thought, man, what a great combination for that guy. I'm so excited to watch him play in a preseason game and get a look at how all that work of practice squad, training camp, OTAs, everything he's done for the last three years kind of come to fruition in an actual game day setting. I wanted to get a good look at Michael Dieter, and I thought you could just see the added strength and his ability to anchor against those big bull rushes on the inside. For instance, there was a rep where he drew Durval as the lineman playing that role of the defensive lineman, and you need to understand that there is no throttle down with Durval, so he gave Mike everything he's got in that particular rep, and plus, on top of that, he used to be a defensive lineman, but Mike sinks into his pass set and absorbs the rush without giving a whole lot of ground. That's a very valuable thing to have right in front of your quarterback in this particular offense with Tua and the quick passing game. And the last note here from this period, before we get into something on the one-on-ones and team periods, there was a ton today, as you can imagine, of team and and one-on-one periods. But in this portion, just watching Rob Hunt in space, he comes in controlled, doesn't sacrifice the power. And I think you see that translate to the tape you see on Sundays. All right, let's go ahead and get to the winners of the one-on-one period, both Uh, between the offensive line and the defensive line. And it starts where the last portion ended with Rob Hunt. His first rep, he gave absolutely positive ground to the pass rusher. And the contact arrives and everything just froze in time right there. He got dapped up by his coaches after this rep, just completely stonewalling the guy. Just hit the man, get out of there because you lost the rep. And there's always a good chance to see the reaction from both teams in these reps in the joint practices. Like who's getting dapped up? Who's getting coached up? And in this instance, it was Dolphins 1, Bears 0. But the Bears really came back strong in that period. Man, they have some dudes up front. Akeem Hicks, that guy's a problem. But you knew that. And I thought this was a good opportunity to see 
a new set of moves, you know, from different pass rushers that can bring different things, power, arm over. Guys were emptying, emptying the clip, so to speak, in that pass rush game. And I wanted to get a good look at the rep after the rep. Remember on the podcast last year, we always highlighted the play before the big play, the play that made the game-changing moment possible because it's never just one guy or one big play. You have to make plays to set up the big play. Well, I wanted to get a look at how guys would respond after losing a rep and there were some good, and it starts there with Solomon Kinley, who I thought basically took this segment and made it his own. There were back-to-back reps in this period that did not go his way, but he didn't let that ruin his day. He got some coaching from Coach Lemuel Jean-Pierre, got back in there, and finished the period with two really strong reps. Then he came into the team period, and I thought had some really good work there too, especially in the two-minute period at the end of practice when Tua completed back-to-back passes for nice chunk gains to put Jason Sanders in position for the quote-unquote win at the end of that period. I really wanted to make a note of that because to me, that's football, and that's especially practice. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Because in the sport, we know it's never going to go your way all the time. And the same was true of Cameron Tom. Back-to-back reps, one after another. One didn't go his way, and the next, he just dug those spikes in the ground, threw the punch, and stonewalled Bilal Nichols, who plays so low to the ground with such power and can really get under those pads, and Cameron Tom responded big in that way. And this is not in the same idea of responding, but just rather a lot of good work from Austin Jackson, and spoiler alert here, he's going to be in top performers. I thought he did some damn good things out there. One thing that really caught my eye was the work he had against Robert Quinn. We all know Robert Quinn, quite literally one of the best bursts off the edge in the last decade. Like it's Cameron Wake-esque off the edge. And against a rusher like that, it can be easy to panic and to overset. And when I talk about overset, it's where you rush upfield to wall off the speed rush. And that opens up a big gap between you and, in this instance, the left guard. And the player, the pass rusher, can then just redirect, work back inside, and get that easy access to the quarterback. It's easier to get to the quarterback when the tackle oversets than it is to run around the guy because it's a obviously quicker path to the quarterback. So it's big problems when you react to the speed rush in a way that is overreactionary. And he just didn't do that at all today. And it wasn't one rep or two reps. It was actually three reps up against Robert Quinn where he got this three straight against 94. And he was perfectly happy to kick slide, get into that set and work the inside shoulder and put himself in position to either run him around the arc, around the backside of the quarterback, which is the worst place to be in football or mirror when he tries to cross face and nothing Quinn was throwing at him in this drill was helping him get to the quarterback. And Quinn had some success in other parts of the day as well. So it's not just like he was losing to everybody, just good work by Austin Jackson. And my last note here on Austin, I noticed a lot of times that Quinn or otherwise, they would try to draw that punch out early where you want the offensive lineman to show the hands because once he pulls those hands up, that's how pass rushers go to work because they start to grab and pull and grip and and do things to get you off balance, get your momentum going the wrong direction. And Austin just stayed patient in the air in that area and wouldn't throw the hands. If he can showcase that skill set consistently with his athletic profile, change of direction skill set, and ability to create push off the line, man, I'll feel damn good about that left tackle position. And finishing up here on the offensive line, I thought Jonathan Hubbard had a really good day. And he's had a quietly strong camp in his own right. The same is true of Adam Pankey. He had some reps in the one-on-ones and again in the team period where I just thought he was winning and getting pushed and doing good in pass pro. Where should we go next? How about the quarterbacks? Everybody loves quarterbacks, right? Well, first, I want to make it clear that you just cannot take it all out there, take it all in out there 
So my apologies to Reed Sinet. I did not see a lot of his reps. And as you can imagine, I mostly watched our defense when Jacoby Brissett was in the game as well. So when I did get a look at him, though, he made some nice throws in the team periods, especially late in practice. Now, as for Tua and the passing offense in general, two quick things here. They got the ball out wide a lot. And I'm not sure if it was by design or based on what they saw by the but I counted at least three or four times where Tua gets the ball outside the numbers to a man who was pretty open and had space to run. He found Waddle twice on these, Shaheen once, and Miles Gaskin another time. And we're talking gains of 20 plus yards each time. And that part kind of crosses over into the second part, which was the way he worked with and mitigated pressure. And just back to that first point real quick, like maybe it doesn't look pretty as far as what, you know, reporters and writers want to see but if you're gaining yards what difference does it make I mean that was consistent on that play they were finding chunks of yards in that area but you know back to mitigating pressure I asked Tua after practice if playing against another defense besides your own albeit free of live contact and live rushes on the quarterback the red jersey you know everyone stops but if it was different since guys on the other side maybe they're a little bit hungry to get that extra inch closer to the quarterback and if seeing a different color flash was beneficial to working through those simulated pressures. And just real quick, both teams on this day did a really good job of taking care of each other. And Coach Flores talked about the agreement between they and the Bear staff, you know, no cut blocks, no fighting, things of that nature. So I'm sure both staffs were pleased with that and the fact that I never saw any quarterbacks on the ground. Let's go ahead and go to Tua now to break it down. Um. I think this defense is really good up front. Um, you know, they're, when you're hitting your back foot on your throws, you know, they're, they're right there um, in, you know, kind of in your face area. Um, you know, but that forces us to, you know, as quarterbacks to kind of move the way we need to. Um, and it simulates game-like um, kind of pocket presence for us. And so, you know, I, I thought it was really good today. We'll take a look at the film. Um, you know, we'll try to correct a lot of the things uh, that we didn't uh, do well today. And um, we'll come out tomorrow and, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a better one. You got to love it when you have an idea of how you want to cover a certain event on the practice field or at a game, whatever it might be. And your question to the player or the coach or whoever it might be, and their answer coincides with how you want to approach it. Tua did a great job there talking about the pocket presence and how they dealt with that pressure. So he talked about how he thought it was a good opportunity to work on dealing with that stuff. And I thought that was where he really shined because there was a couple of instances where he stepped up through the muck and cleared that initial rush, the initial wave and got past it. And a lot of, a lot of good quarterbacks in today's league do that. And on one instance, he had a bunch of green grass in front of him for a nice run. And then on three other occasions, he presses the line and fires strikes to the intermediate portions of the field for completions. Like today, it wasn't sit back in the pocket and scan the field and go deep. Like that wasn't the game today. Today, it was get away from pressure, throw quick, get the ball to your hand and make it work with what you have. And he did that a lot, I thought. And there was another one where he got to the line and worked down the line, not so as to not cross over and lose the ability to throw the football once you get past the line and the illegal forward pass. And he completed that one for a decent chunk too. So that's the kind of stuff that I think you can really take that can really take his game to another level because we know he can play from the pocket and, and win that way. But to get off the spot and make plays off script, man, that's going to go a long way for this guy and for this offense. But again, that Bears front is ferocious. I thought Khalil Mack and Jesse Davis had some good battles during the team periods, trading some wins back and forth. Good to see Jesse Davis hold his own against one of the very best in the game at times out there. Another area where Tua was strong 
before we get to the rest here, and this was in the seven on seven period, he threw some strikes to receivers working the end line of the end zone, locating the football high and away from danger. Later, we saw some of the manipulation with the body position, the way he can move the defense with not just the eyes, but the position of the feet and hips to sell a player on a particular route. I'm going to go in this direction, and then once you move off that spot, I'm going to throw to the vacated spot. Saw that in spades in a 7-on-7 drill. And that has really been pretty consistent for Tua throughout the course of this training camp. And really going back to his college days, we saw a bunch of it last year in the rookie season as well. I think it's going to serve him very well, the ability to move guys off of a spot with not just the eyes, but the body position as well. So some high level stuff there from your second year quarterback. And one play I think Tua would like to have back, he gets away from pressure. And as he goes to throw, the ball slips out of his hand and the Bears fall on it. He looked upset by it, but I thought, but he would bounce back, I should say. Very next play, rips one across the field to Jalen Waddle to really show off the arm strength and the zip. And man, he was humming that thing across the field today. I thought this particular play was a really good example of Tua's arm strength and what he offers in that department. So that paired with the bounce off the top of the spot of the drop, like he mentioned, and the drive on the passes are two things that I think have really stood out to me so far in this training camp for Tua Tungabailoa. Oh, you know what? We didn't do housekeeping. Let's knock this out real quick. Jalen Phillips is back on the practice field. Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, and Will Fuller are here, but will not practice this week. And coach says tight end Hunter Long remains day to day. The only real other thing to mention here is that coach said guys will play on Saturday. He didn't specify who that is, but he said they'll have an idea on game day. They have not finalized yet how much each guy will play, but he did clarify that your quarterback, Tua Tungabailoa, will in fact play in the game on Saturday, 1 o'clock NFL Network. Okay, back to it. The receivers. Jalen Waddle continues to make tough catch after tough catch after tough catch, and that's something that Josh Grizzard, Dolphins receivers coach, touched on in his media earlier this week, how he thinks the speed of Waddle, while readily apparent and very much in the mind of defenders that go up against him, college pro or otherwise, Yes, that speed is definitely there, but the fact that he's a nuanced route runner, that's, I think, very overlooked. He really knows how to play leverage, how to chase blind spots, and what that means is wherever the cornerback's eyes can't be on his own back, if you can get in that spot, you can control the rep, control the route. I've seen Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs guys just go to work on blind spots, and they create separation huge that way because they know how to set them up and then get off that spot, and the DB has no idea where he's gone. So there's one rep where I saw him just go to work, Waddle, on the blind spot of a DB, and he basically never saw Waddle at any point of the rep. He just got on that backside, turned him in, DB turns back that way to run after, and he turns it back out, creates space that way. And to the point of the speed, he caught one of those balls outside that I talked about where there was nobody around him, and he got as much as he could just going as fast as he could up the sideline, up the perimeter, stuck his foot in the ground, and when the safety pursuit arrived, I'm about 95% sure he would have cut that thing, or he did cut the thing back, but I'm about 95% sure that he would have taken that the next 25, 30 yards or so he needed for a 65-yard touchdown. He is fun to watch. He's explosive. He's the fastest guy out there. He's not limping. And Robert Foster had a nice day, including a spectacular one-handed catch from Jacoby Brissett on a back shoulder ball where he got his left arm pinned in by the DB and used his right arm while going up in the air and went back to his back. And he never really even got the second hand on it, just corralled it and pinned it up against his right side. He also got deep earlier in practice behind the defense and the ball was overthrown just slightly 
by Jacoby Brissett. But he is getting open, making some plays. Good to see him get back in the stat column because he hasn't caught as many balls the last few practices. But today, he had a nice number of receptions. So too did Mac Hollins, especially from Tua Tungavailoa. Red zone, touchdown type of throws. Uh, short stuff in the intermediate passing game. He's been catching a lot of things in the middle of the football field from your quarterback. And Jakeem Grant was the recipient of one of those Tua climb and fires. And he also was the recipient on a pass over the middle on a pass where he created a ton of separation uh, in the two-minute period where he put the defensive back on his heels and just snapped that thing off and got some preparation for the reception. Isaiah Ford continued his strong camp and made a couple of plays in the team period, including a nice gain on a pass from Jacoby Brissett. And it was tough sledding to transition here to the running backs in the run game during the team period. And that was true for both sides. But Miles Gaskin continues to make plays in the passing game, including a nice job by Tua to let a play develop, hang in under duress, and then get the football out to a spot wide where Miles runs under it. And it's one of those long catch and runs we've seen from Miles all camp long. He is so natural at transitioning from receiver to runner, where his back is to the defense, your hands are turned over to catch the football outside, then to tuck that thing away, put it away, eyes go upfield, and let's go, baby. He does that so smoothly, and I noted later in practice, he had a really nice run where he had to change direction like three or four times, just jump cut left, jump cut right, jam that thing back up in there, but I never saw him get touched, so a crafty runner who's tough as hell. He got popped on one play, but popped right back up and got back to the huddle. He's I love watching Miles Gaskin play football. There was an outside run that showed Savon Ahmed's speed off where he just turned on those jets again and won the edge. Malcolm Brown had some nice physical runs too, but none better than the biggest play of the day from the running game standpoint where Austin Jackson got excellent surge up the middle, kind of pulling off the formation, getting a block in the middle. And then Michael Dieter climbed to the second level and opened up a huge lane. And that was the big run of the day for Miami. He was into the secondary untouched. And sorry to sound like a broken record here, but I really want to see a game to get a better feel for the running backs. It's so hard to get a feel for backs in practice, in my opinion. Adam Shaheen caught a bunch of balls today, including one of Tua's best throws of the day, where he, where the defender was right in front of Shaheen, but he had his back turned, so that's where you know you can throw to spots, and Tua throws it low and away, Shaheen goes down and makes the catch before he gets out of bounds on the end line, awesome throw, awesome catch. Seathan Carter and Jacoby Brissett are developing a nice little rhythm, they had a couple of hookups today, including one between a trio of Bears defenders, so that's the offense, but what if I told you? I saved the best for last because this defense came to play on Wednesday. Let's go in order and start up front, and it starts with Emmanuel Ogba. I mentioned this in the Monday podcast. The Bears were without Tevin Jenkins, the rookie's second-round pick, who I thought was a top-16 pick, frankly, and Jermaine Effetti, and Ogba made sure their absences were felt in this practice. He was in the backfield all day long. In fact, the first two plays of the two-minute period were sacks by Ogba. Game over right there. That's that's it. Two sacks, you're done. No timeouts, No third and forever. Game over. And he was using that length, the grip strength, and the ability to cross face to give the tackles all sorts of problems. It's good to see him deconstructing pass blocks, just like he did last year all season long, but also the ability to play in the running game and set, set a strong edge, play inside, do multiple things. Big day for Emmanuel Ogba. And I would say the second most frequent visitor of the offensive backfield was Shaquem Griffin. They didn't have an answer for him. He was dominant in the one-on-one periods. And then when he got free in the team period, I said out loud to myself for his second sack of team period, this effing guy again, he balled out today. He was everywhere. 
It was great to see Jalen Phillips back out there. He had a nice rep in the run game where he was the unblocked man on the end of the formation, but he quickly erased that space and got right up into the mesh point of the quarterback and the running back and used that eye discipline to stay with the back and shut him down for a short run. So I'll get a better look at him pass rushing tomorrow. Didn't see a whole lot today, but the running game, he was stout. The interior defensive line picked up they left off in Miami, man. Adam Butler wanted everyone to know how much he was killing it in the one-on-ones. He was visibly very pleased, kind of pumping himself up and, and dapping up his teammates and coaches. Just a great effort by him, and justifiably so for the celebrations. He was dominant. They were in there a lot, and that includes Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, some linebacker work when they would go five-on-five five with uh, Bernardrick McKinney getting some pressure up the shoot as well. Christian Wilkins, to me, continues to show the stuff that he has not just with the quickness and the pass rush, but the stack and shed mode I've talked about a lot on this podcast where he gets hands on guys, works down the line, and then can get, he can wait until he needs to get off the block and makes that decision at the right time. He did that a few more times in this practice. And Zach Steeler, man, he was rejecting passes, pushing the pocket, getting around the corner. And then Raekwon Davis, boy, he is strong. He showed both the power and the ability to use his wingspan to put guys in peril. He had one rush move where he rushed the outside shoulder of his man, got the left arm on the left shoulder pad, and you know what's coming right now, hip toss time, just chucked him out the club to get the pressure on the quarterback. Oh, by the way here, quick aside, Justin Fields, he's pretty good. He's pretty, pretty, pretty good. He's pretty good. That's it. He can play. And that's your Bears coverage for the podcast. Justin Fields, like what I see from him. But back to our guys, the linebackers. I mentioned Bernardrick McKinney. By the way, that was Curb Your Enthusiasm and Detroiters with Tim Robinson, if you're not familiar. Check that show out. I thought Bernardrick McKinney was really good rushing today, and I thought Jerome Baker did really well to string out some runs and some screens. He didn't have the splash plays and wasn't even necessarily involved in a ton of tackles, but gap sound, speed to the football, assignment sound, he looked really good to me in this practice. And Duke Riley's speed continues to show up. I think he's having himself a whale of a camp. I knew his speed was there, but just to see it against someone else was awesome. He got out wide on a screen pass and ran that thing down. And Nick Needham did really good on this play to show a good understanding of spatial awareness, where the help is, how to give or rather play to your help, as Coach mentioned, as one of the traits he's looking for from players. And Nick, as he so often does, plays such smart football and on this one to, and allowed Duke to get in there and make the stop right at the line. All right. I've been waiting all day to talk to you guys about the secondary because it was fun. My first note here, and why do we get to it now? It was the matchup of the matchup of the matchup of the day. Byron Jones on Darnell Mooney. Now, no Allen Robinson today, but Byron saw Mooney a lot. And I'm so impressed first by Mooney's route running. He's crafty as hell, especially for a second year player out of Tulane, no less. But Byron Jones was having zero of it today. I was watching him isolated a few times, and the ball didn't even go in that direction, so you're not going to see a lot of flash and pump and circumstance in terms of the statistics, but he was in great position all day long. Press, off, man, zone. He had it all working today, and I just thought he made it a really tough really tough day for the second-year receiver, kind of getting a lesson in, hey, this is a guy that shut down a lot of number one receivers in his career, and this terrific rookie season came out today and, and learned about Byron Jones' skill set, his ability to get hands on him at the line of scrimmage, get into the back pedal, flip the hips, drive, pin him to the sideline on takeoff routes. I thought this was one of the best practices that Byron's had as a Miami Dolphin, personally. On the other side, you know who's over there. You know that man, Xavier Howard. He also was having none of it. In fact, on one play that actually would have been a sack by Zach Sealer, 
but the play extended and Dalton tried to test Xavian. Uh, wrong move, El Wapo. He skies up and pulls that thing down for the pick like he did all year last year. I honestly do not remember seeing X or Byron allow a catch in practice. I'm sure it happened once or twice, but I didn't see it. Cause, you know, you can't watch every rep again. I'm watching two fields at the same time, but I didn't see it. They were dynamite today. You know who else was dynamite and has been for a week plus now? Javon Holland. Guys, that pick was a thing of beauty. Why don't we go ahead before we break it down and hear from Javon Holland on the interception. Yeah, so I was just, you know, going through all my keys on that play, um, basically reading the quarterback in the middle of the field. And then um, as I was breaking to the post, uh, I read his eyes and, you know, he let the ball go and I happened to be there um, right where, you know, we planned on me being there. So, uh, you know, it worked in my favor that play. So you hear him talking about reading keys and reading the eyes of the quarterback. Man, he jumped in front of that thing a la Rashad Jones against the Titans back in 2015 for that pick six he had in that blowout game. But this was a little bit deeper down the field, obviously, in that 12 to 15, 20-yard range or so, or so. And he just drove on this thing before the ball even came out, elevates, pulls it down, and then like a running back, he's off to the races, up the sideline for the touchdown, pick six. I was so impressed with him today. And then a few plays later, he comes from depth on a short throw to the back in the flat and closes down on that thing before it could go anywhere. Just a good mix of his skill set, ball skills, tracking instincts drive the acceleration off of a spot all that stuff on display today and then this was something I've been wanting to ask him for a couple of practices now and since he mentioned reading the quarterback's eyes I wanted to ask him how much time he spends on the other side of the ball trying to pick the brains of the quarterbacks since he talked about reading the eyes of the quarterback on this play I thought his answer was great so why don't we go ahead and go back to Javon um, I kind of you know I actually do go and pick their brain a little bit uh, especially Jacoby uh, he's, he's a vet been in the league so I, I try to ask him, you know, what he's looking for when the coach, you know, when we're trying to show the skies, things like that. Uh, same with Tua, you know, uh, Tua gives me great insight. He's a great dude. All of them are great. Reed too. Uh, so that, you know, they give me insight on what they're looking for, their keys. And so I can try to play to my advantage and, uh, you know, trying to confuse him before the play. And a fun little story. I saw Javon after practice and kind of kept my distance from him because I'm not supposed to be up close, but I just said, Hey Javon, you know, a couple of years ago, you had a pick six against the Cougs that basically decided the game against us. And, I just want you to know that broke my heart. And he like dropped his head laughing and was like, I'm sorry, man, and apologized for it. What a good guy. He said, you don't got to apologize, but I just want you to know you broke some Cougs fans' heart that day. And he's probably going to break some more hearts in the future. He had a hell of a day on Sunday. All right, I think X, Byron, and Javon Holland all get a, a game ball, a practice ball for me today, as it were. But Jamal Perry's in that group too. He also snatched an INT. He strung out a screenplay to the perimeter. He had a pass breakup that was batted up into the air and nearly picked off by Jerome Baker. And he made play after play after play. Big day for Jamal Perry. And he's had a good camp so far. I think he's really earned himself a, a shot to, to make this team and contribute for this Dolphins club. Noah Igbenogany had some really competitive reps and forced two incompletions I saw. He also jumped a route that forced Justin Fields to pull that thing down. Like he wanted to throw it and you can see it was a very pronounced pump fake as he just at the last second decided I can't throw that ball there it's tight coverage he also had a pressure maybe even a sack on the day so good day for Noah Iguanagini against the Bears and then Javaris Davis he's been in the notes a lot he had himself a pass breakup on a slant he was in great position on a deep throw up the sideline that the receiver caught but he shoved him out of bounds and the officials ruled it out of bounds incomplete so Big day for Javaris Davis. He's made plays just about every day for a week or so now. And then finally, I had two notes on Justin Coleman's making plays. He's both aggressive and instinctive. He was really good on a screenplay to get into the passing window, and he elevated, and then I think it was 
it was Andy Dalton had to throw it over him and loft it over him. And because of that, the cavalry arrived and got that play down for a short gain rather than having a one-on-one opportunity in space because of a quicker pass would have given him more time. But Coleman said, no, sir. All right, top performers today. You probably have a good idea where we're going here, but Jamal Perry is at the top of this list. Just play after play after play. Xavier Howard gets back on the interception list. He was also locked down in coverage. Byron Jones mentioned he had a great practice just locking things down, really st- doing a good job staying in the hip pocket and erasing a man from the entire game. Zach, or practice, Zach Sealer is on there. He had constant pressure up the interior, rejected a pass, and was stuffing up the run game, winning the one-on-one matchups. Emmanuel Ogba had a huge day-to-day with sacks and pressures and run game, edge set, condensing inside, making plays down there. Duke Riley's speed showed up again in this practice. Austin Jackson was really good in the one-on-one periods. Also thought he was good in the team periods. That patience off the edge, the athletic ability to redirect, work inside, all that fun stuff. Javon Holland, that is three picks in the last four practices. Add a forced or recovered fumble in there. Four takeaways and four practices and one touchdown. And again, the play where he came from depth. He's just consistently putting the offense in a bind as far as what he does to to be in the right position to disrupt passing lanes, you get a few of those picks, you're going to start being in the back of the quarterback's mind, and that's going to impact the offense even further. Javaris Davis is also in there, just competes his ass off, plays the football well, has the good speed, and has just been really close in coverage a lot this training camp. Jalen Waddell created so much space in this practice, as he has done pretty much every single practice, but continues to make the tough catches, going to the ground, in traffic, whatever you want, he's doing it right now. Rob Hunt, I thought, was really impressive in the team period. Now, he had Akeem Hicks a few times, who is a tough, tough matchup, one of the best defensive tackles, and he got his wins, but so too did Robert Hunt, and he was pushing some bodies around in the running game as well as providing good pass protection. Shaquem Griffin was in the backfield all day long. He had a big-time practice. Tua Tungavailoa, I thought the 7-on-7, he just absolutely crushed it, threw some nice anticipatory balls, mitigated pressure, and moved the defense with his eyes nicely. Raekwon Davis, the hip toss alone gets you in here, but he was also dominant otherwise. And Adam Butler and Christian Wilkins too. Just these defensive tackles. Every day it seems we put all four of these guys in here. Once again, they were all very, very stout. We have one question today, and this one comes from Apple Podcast. Again, you put a question in Apple Podcast, we'll answer it for you here on the Drive Time Podcast. This one from Nick Belinda, he asks, your podcast is great and I look forward to it every day. Thank you, each and every day. One thing is, I rarely hear negatives about the team. What unit are you most concerned about? Well, I wouldn't say I I would have like concerns per se. Not that my concerns would matter anyway, but I think every position group on every team has an element of the unknown. We, we, We can't forecast anything in this business, right? Question marks. And that's why they play the game. And there's a reason coach always says he's focused on today because the moment you get into projecting is when you get out over your skis and you lose focus on the here and now. Now, obviously, this is an important method to follow for a coaching staff and for a player, but for a fan, a podcaster, or someone that has nothing to do with the outcome on the on-field product, it doesn't matter for those guys. So when I think about some questions you might have for this Dolphins team, how quickly does a young offensive line gel and kind of come together? How does it shake out with the starting lineup? Is it going to be a combination you feel is superior to what option two or maybe even option three looks like? And then newcomers and new places, you just, you can't, you can't project that like you can with, you know, previous players or guys that have proven resumes in your system. So newcomers in the role of like a Bobby McCain, for instance, as the eyes of the defense in the back, will Jason McCourty and Javon Holland pick up that role and take it to new heights? How does the committee of back shake out? Is Miles going to be the focal point? I'm not sure about that. And of course, does Tua Tungavailoa make that year two jump that we all hope he will? Those would be some of my questions 
heading into the season. But like I said, every position group has questions. That's why the coaches are here and are paid to get each group better every day. And hopefully in December, those question marks have definitive answers, but you start a new campaign from step one and nothing from last year matters. So how do they replicate the things they had success with? Third down defense, takeaways, protecting the football and offense. And how do they improve the things that didn't pan out the way you had hoped last year? Running game, vertical passing game, everything about the week 17 game. That's my response to that question. But truthfully, and if you've been following me long enough on this journey, I've always been very bullish on this particular program with Brian Flores. I think the front office has done a great job of taking the resources they have and maximizing those resources that are allocated to them and getting more than market value for what they have. And I'm a big believer in the consistency day in, day out of Coach Flores and the culture he's established and will continue to establish here in Miami. I think players relate to him and his staff. They respect him and his staff. And I think those two things together will always have me optimistic about this team and the things they can accomplish. All right, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, put your question in there. We'll answer the question on the podcast. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. Follow the team. That is at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. They do a fantastic job. Just had a Blake Ferguson episode out earlier this week. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com for all the latest and greatest on your Miami Dolphins. Until next time, fins up.